For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. That always pumps you up, that opener, doesn't it? Welcome along to the Sporting Capital on this Thursday night, Remembrance Day edition 2021. Damien Watson in the chair for Sam Hargraves tonight. In about an hour's time, we'll head to Parramatta to Western Sydney Stadium for the clash between the Socceroos and Saudi Arabia with potentially top spot in Group B up for grabs at this point in time in the World Cup qualifiers. The Socceroos have announced their starting 11. Harry Sutar's in there, and as expected and as flagged by Adam Peacock earlier on, in the time on program, Matthew Leckie will start and we have JB McLaren and also Andrew Naboot coming off the bench as subs. So that's the situation there with the starting 11 for the Socceroos. We'll turn our attention to, well, you speak of national fervour. There's plenty happening in the cricket sphere in that respect as well with the Australian T20 side preparing for an all-important T20 World Cup semi-final clash against Pakistan. Plus, we have the continuation of the Sheffield Shield, the WBBL, which has been raid interrupted today, and plenty of news around as well. Andrew Menzel joins us from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast to discuss the latest cricket news. How are you, Metters? I'm good, thanks, Damien. Good to have you on once again. What are your predictions and feelings ahead of the match early hours tomorrow morning between the Aussies and Pakistan, given, and I'm not making fun of you by saying this, but last time we had you on, you didn't think Australia would even get to the semi-final point. No, I didn't. They've um, overperformed. Australia came up against a very lacklustre Bangladesh and then a West Indies team that were already on the beach sipping pina coladas rather than playing <laughs> cricket. So Australia have had a pretty easy run into the semi-final, but I have to say I'm very excited. It's a, it's a great matchup. You've got two teams with excellent fast bowlers, uh, a couple of really good spinners, and then some explosive batting on both sides. So it promises to be an absolute humdinger of a semi-final. I think um, Pakistan starts slightly as favourites due to their cracking form in T20 cricket and right throughout this tournament. But on the other side of it, Australia have historically dominated Pakistan in elimination games in the World Cup. So yes. it's a pretty even prospect going into the match tomorrow morning. I think the new ball for both sides will be decisive. I think Australia needs to make breakthroughs with the new ball and get into the Pakistan batting lineup. And conversely, I think when Australia's batting, Finch and Warner somehow have to get through those first few overs and lay the platform. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the dynamics go. And a lot has been spoken about. We'll touch on the Australian side in just a moment. But what about the opposition, Pakistan? They've been in splendid form for the most part. They have at India. Baba Azam, of course, scored 68, an unbeaten 68 in that match. And you have a look at his last three performances, 66. I mean, this is against weak opposition, it must be said. But 66 against Scotland, 70 against Namibia, Namibia rather, 51 against Afghanistan in the T20 format. I know he only got the nine against New Zealand, but still Pakistan come in with a fair amount of confidence and form. How do you think they'll go? Oh, yeah, they're a really good team. And you're right, Baba Azam is a class act. Then they've got Mohammed Rizwan, Fakazaman at the top, Asif Ali in the middle order. It's a very strong lineup. And then they've got the experience of Mohammed Afiz and Shoaib Malik. So it's well balanced. And what I like about Pakistan is with their bowling attack, They've got all bases covered. They've got Shaheen Shah Afridi, who's 
Yes. Uh, you know, left arm quick bowler who swings it back into yep. the right hand is complimented by Harris Ralph and Hassan Ali. And you might remember Harris Ralph playing excellently for the Stars a couple of seasons ago. So um, he's a, a dangerous prospect. And then, you know, Australia have got to get through the left arm spinner, Imad Wazim, and the leg spinner, Shadab Khan. So it's going to be very tricky. Our middle order has been a, a little bit haphazard against quality spin over the last couple of years. So we'll really need players like Maxwell and Smith to dominate. How do you think the actual tournament has been received? A lot of people out there still think it's a bit of a humdrum type tournaments, although I believe it has received more coverage than it has in the past. Maybe it is slightly building as a tournament, even though the domestic T20 formats still take precedence, I think, amongst a number of the players. And that was reflected, really, with India's performance in this campaign. I think it has been mentioned by a number of commentators, particularly in India, the reason why they departed, or one of the major reasons, is because most of the focus has been on the IPL. Yeah, it's true. They were burnt out from playing the IPL just before this tournament. Um, there was no real regard for the Indian players' welfare. And look, they have a, they've been playing non-stop cricket for 18 months and the coach and the players have said they were burnt out. They didn't make an excuse. Uh, but overall, I think this tournament, you're right, the last edition was played in 2016 and in the last five years, I think it's grown in status. I would sort of say, though, that in Australia, because of the time zone, etc., it hasn't you know, got a lot of buzz happening in Australia. I think the next tournament, when Australia's hosting next year, will be when Australia falls in love with this tournament because it's a terrific format. The games are you know, entertaining, and, and then the tournament's a lot shorter than, say, the 50-over World Cup that goes on for a long time. So it's a, it's a great tournament to follow. Um, and I think it'll just keep growing. If you want to text in, we can obviously read your texts out. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen off the temper text machine. Temper, of course, a mattress like no other. We're speaking with Andrew Benzel from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Before I get your thoughts on the other semi-final, which took place overnight, your tip for Australia v Pakistan. What do you think the outcome will be? Yeah, I'm, I'm giving Pakistan the edge here. I, I think they're just a, a slightly better unit, and I, I think they'll probably just overpower us in this format. And as I said, Australia have had a pretty easy run in in their last two games, and then we got spanked against the English uh, against the you know when we were really tested. So I think Pakistan will slight will probably take the chocolates tonight or tomorrow morning. All right, what about the England v New Zealand match overnight? I'll tell you what, if it matches the drama of uh, last night or early this morning, it will be very intriguing, the Australia v Pakistan match. But England v New Zealand, the Kiwis in a precarious situation at one point, and yet they win by five wickets with still an over to spare. What happened with the collapse from England? Yeah, this was a terrific game. It started off with um, England batting well and making, I think, 167, which was a sort of average total. And then the Kiwis got off to a very sluggish start. You know, none, a two for 58 after 10 overs, needing 100 odd in the last 10. And they got there with one over to spare. They came out of the drinks break and scored 16 in the first over and the 11th over, and that kind of got them going. And then in the 17th over, Chris Jordan was bowling and he went for 20-odd and and that was enough. But Jimmy Neesham was the difference. He came out and hit four sixes. I think he hit 27 off about 11 balls. And that was just the impetus New Zealand needed. And I have to say, I was very happy to see them win because they were so cruelly denied the 50-over World Cup against England in 2019. I felt that 
this will go some way to repairing the, the poor Kiwi souls. And I have to say that the Kiwis have just been on a, a phenomenal run. You know, they're the Test World Champions, they're the 50 over finalists, and they may be able to win the T20 World Cup. So it, it's actually quite stunning that a, a cricket community so small could be doing so well. And it is capturing the New Zealand public's imagination as well from all accounts. So obviously this would have to be, I know the mid-80s were a good period. You go back to that Richard Hadley test match performance against the Aussies at the Gabba back in late 1985 where he skittled them. And that was seen for a long time as a pinnacle of New Zealand cricket. But we're probably at the pinnacle right now, aren't we? Would it be fair to say, holistically? Without doubt. This is um, the best New Zealand cricket's ever been. And as I said, those string of results almost put Australia to shame. Uh, Normally, Australia refers to New Zealand as the little... Might be the other way around soon in terms of cricket. Mm. That's true. <laughs> if it continues in this format, I'll tell you what, it'd be an interesting Australia v New Zealand final if that is the case for the T20 World Cup. Let's head a little more close to home at Menes. We're speaking with Andrew Menzel from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. James Pattinson copped a one-match ban for throwing the ball at Daniel Hughes unprovoked. Was that justified, do you think? Could he have gotten more, potentially? I think it was a, a, about the right um, fine. It was... Very disappointing what he did. He lost his cool there for a second, and you just you just can't go around throwing the ball at batters if you're the bowler. It's just not done. And I think a one-game suspension and 100% of his match fee is appropriate. He's known for having a, a lot of the white line fever uh, about him. That he's a lovely guy off the field, but he steps over and gets the the red rock in his hand, and something happens. But he just had a brain explosion. And what was it like just witnessing Shield cricket at the MCG again after all these months? Because you've got to remember, last season there was only the one Shield match at the MCG, Victoria v Tasmania. We had the Boxing Day test, of course, last summer. But there hasn't been a heck of a lot of cricket at the G holistically since probably that Women's T20 World Cup final going back to March the 8th, 2020. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, it was great to see Shield cricket back there. And it, it made me think that, they're going to play a second Ashes test somewhere, it really should be the SCG or the MCG because they will get the big crowds that haven't had much action over the last couple of years because it was just great to see big-time cricket back there. And they don't play enough shield cricket on the major ground. So when the players do get to go out there, you've got to appreciate it. And what do you think about that situation where it seems, from all reports, that the fifth test will be announced to be in Perth imminently, uh, even though there's border closures that are in place, strict border closures there in WA. Are you a li- little bit sympathetic to certain people who want to get back to WA for family reasons or health reasons, etc. and yet the cricketers get a pass in, if this is going to be the case? Yeah, I think there's a bit to play out with this. It is a sticky situation and uh, there is one issue around what impact going to Western Australia would have in the, the, the days leading up to going there. And so I think some of the players are concerned that, you know, would it mean, say, if they're coming from Sydney, in Sydney they have to stay in the hotel rooms for a week before they go. So I, I think they've still got to sort of work through that. And I'm just, you know, to, to anyone's guess what will happen with the border, it's, you know, it's set to open after the test match. So, yeah, it's, it's a hard one to, to sort of for Cricket Australia to try and get across the line because, as you say, so many people are separated from their family and loved ones. It does look a bit odd when you get the cricketers in um, in those circumstances. 
Feel free to text in with your cricket thoughts or questions. 0433981116 off the temper text machine. Temper a mattress like no other. What about the current Shield action at the moment? Two matches going on. We'll start off with Queensland VWA. And it's the Warriors in force at the moment at the Gabba. They absolutely skittled the Queenslanders. And when you think about it, 129 probably flattered Queensland in the end, given the position they were in. And WA scoring 281. Queenslanders pretty much starting their second innings at the beginning of day three. They're numb for one at the moment. Stumps on day two. So what's been your highlight so far? Josh Phillippe scoring a century, albeit a conservative one. Yeah, well, great to see Philippi score a hundred. His second first-class century. That's a you know great development for Australian cricket. Uh, it's very much a, a green top yesterday morning when Queensland started out there, and Usman Khawaja made an excellent seventy while everyone fell around him. So he may be in line to get in the Test side after that performance because that was a, a knock made under extreme difficulty. Uh, so yeah, look, a good performance by Western Australia. They've got a big lead in the first innings and you'd expect them to go on and win the game. Yes, it'll be very intriguing. And what about the other match between Tasmania and South Australia at the present time? Of course, Tasmania 3 for 102. South Australia posted 220. So Tasmania at this point, barring a collapse, probably have the upper hand. Charlie Wakeham, a crucial 68 he scored before he was bowled in the end. Uh, very well by Nathan McAndrew, who has pretty economical figures at two for 17. But you've got Ben McDermott, who's a big hitter at the crease, along with Lawrence Neal-Smith. So they have a lot of depth as well in that Tasmanian batting lineup at the moment. Jake Doran can hang around, and you've got Jordan Silk, who's a pretty consistent hitter. He was pretty good last season as well. And Bo Webster, the two-metre man, he can go big if he wants to. So they've probably got the upper hand, the Taswegians at the moment. Yeah, I think the game's still in the balance, but you, as you said, probably not quite enough runs for South Australia in the first innings. A very good 100 by Henry Hunt in the first innings uh, by South Australia. But look, I just hope South Australia, South Australia can get a win. I mean, they're desperate for a shield win. If they could just knock over Tasmania and get a bit of a lead and then try and set them a target. Um, but yeah, they, they've got to try and do something because South Australia are winless in the shield for a while. Well, what have you seen of the WBBL so far? Obviously, rain interrupting proceedings tonight. The Melbourne Derby didn't end up going ahead tonight in Adelaide because of the rain, and there was no result in the clash between the Sydney Thunder and Perth Scorchers. But what stood out to you in the past week? Well, there's been some good results. I guess the first thing is the defending champions are pretty much out of finals contention now. The Sydney Thunder have had a very disappointing defence. Uh, so that's um, not a good one. And I think the Brisbane Heat are a team to watch. They, they seem are. to be gathering momentum nicely, batting really well. Uh, Grace George Harris Redmayne, I know. Well. Yes. Yep. And I think Grace Harris would be someone they should look at for the Australian T20 side because she's got a lot of power. And I think that's probably the one area of Australia's T20 team they could improve. Uh, but, yeah, look, I think the Heat are obviously a team to watch and the Renegades continuing their form. Yeah, and you mentioned Georgia Redmayne as well at the top of the order. That's been a good combination. And Poonam Yadav for the Brisbane Heat has been sensational as well, has taken wickets at key moments. And I think the Indian players have been probably amongst the standouts in that competition this year. Oh, yeah. And Jamima Rodriguez and Harman Precor yeah. for the Renegades have just been much of the competition. It's been such a joy to have them. And, you know, it, it just does give you a bit of a taste of what, 
you know, the WBBL will be like in a year or two when, you know, COVID's gone and everyone can come in and play because there still have been a lot of players that couldn't make it to the WBBL uh, from other parts of the world. The Indian team was here, so it was a lot easier. So, yeah, I think the WBBL in the next couple of years is just going to get better and better. And just before I let you go, Andrew Menzel joining us from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. It's announced in the last hour that Victoria's Marcus Harris will be given an extended run as David Warner's opening partner in the Ashes. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, it's taken me a bit by surprise. I wasn't aware of that um, news. Uh, he, he's the incumbent and he's, he's, he's um, scored a lot of runs at shield level for a long time, so he deserves his chance. Mm. He's a lovely chap, but he's unproven at test level. And I do think he will have a test against um, Stuart Broad, who bowls very well to the left-handers. Yeah, so look, the jury's still out. He, he, he deserves a shot, but it's, um, it's going to be a lot of pressure on him. Yeah, that report coming from Malcolm Conn in The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. Metters, really appreciate your time once again, mate. Enjoy it. you got to stay up and do an all-nighter to watch Australia v Pakistan. No, I'm having a little bit of a power nap beforehand, Damien, and I'm going to get up and have a bit of a listen or watch. And I think it's going to be a humdinger. I know I predicted Pakistan, but it's going to be a cracking game. It could go either way. And- can't wait to see it. Yeah, sensational. All the best, Menders. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Damien. Take care. Andrew Benzel from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. We'll take a break. On the other side of this, we'll get an NFL preview with a big weekend up ahead and a lot happening off the field as well in that particular area. Laurie Haresh to join us from ESPN. On the other side of this break, you're listening to the Sporting Capital on SEN. Damien Watson filling in for Sam Hargraves on this Thursday night. Welcome back. Damian Watson with you here on SEN, your home of sport for this Thursday night. If you want to text in at any stage, 0433981116. Well, we've reached the halfway mark, would you believe, of the NFL regular season. And last week did produce a fair amount of upsets, including the Jaguars over Buffalo and Denver, of course, over Dallas. Plus, the Aaron Rodgers vaccine situation continues to make headlines. Laurie Haresh joins us from ESPN to preview the upcoming suite of NFL fixtures. How are you, Laurie? Oh, doing well. Happy to be joining you and talking a little football. Absolutely. Uh, we'll get on to the on-field stuff shortly, but I it would be remiss of me not to bring up the Aaron Rodgers situation and get your perspective of it. What's the latest regarding how it's been received around the competition and the various stakeholders like opposition clubs and the media, etc.? I think the opposition clubs rightfully raised their eyebrows at the level of punishment that landed the Green Bay Packers copped a $300,000 fine, US dollars, and Aaron Rodgers just over $14,000 personally. Um, which you could question exactly how hard that hits the hip pocket. But when <laughs> you consider very. that that was only, yeah, not very. When you consider that was only, you know, roughly 4000 and change more than CD Lamb, the Cowboys wide receiver, was fined for waving after scoring a, a game-winning touchdown against the New England Patriots. That was after he was pushed to the found with a cheap, unsportsmanlike shot from Jalen Mills. Considering that's the level of fine we're talking about here for what Aaron Rodgers was charged with breaking cro- protocols by the NFL breaking their protocols, not abiding by those. Um, And that doesn't, you know, there's no formal line in there, but obviously from the public standpoint, there's a bit of broken trust there. There's a lot of people out there, fans, media, other teams that think that his comments were misleading um, and the way that he answered about being immunised when asked if he was, uh, whether he had been vaccinated. So I think there's a lot of, there, there will be surrounding noise around this. But as we know in sport, not just the NFL, but in sport worldwide, a lot of things, a lot of storylines and a lot of actions get, if not forgiven, pretty swiftly forgotten when the level of talent reaches a certain point. 
And after seeing what Jordan Love put down for the Green Bay Packers in their loss to the Kansas City Chiefs in his first start, compared to the form that Aaron Rodgers we've seen at times this season and certainly in his MVP campaign in 2020, we know that there's going to be plenty of people clamouring for his return. Um, and, and that could come as soon as this week. He needs to pass further levels of the COVID protocol and return negative tests uh, being an unvaccinated player. Some more strict protocols than for vaccinated players before that happens, but he could be back uh, in the fold and off the COVID list by Saturday. Uh, but uh, when you think about the future as well and you think about his legacy, one thing to mm. consider is that media do play a very big role. Media members do have a very big role in the voting process for the MVP. And there, it's not far out of the imagination to imagine that some members of the media um, may find it a little less likely that they cast their vote for Aaron Rodgers if he's in that contention. And we have a wide, wide open MVP race this season. It's one of the best races I can imagine. It is a fascinating 8, 10, 12 person race, depending who you ask. Uh, but given that it is a close one, and, and as we look to this in the future, it would be quite surprising if we see Rodgers thrust into MVP favouritism, just given who might be the people casting votes. You did mention before about how some things are forgiven and forgotten in the narrative of sport. Do you think this tarnishes his legacy permanently overall going into the long term? I don't know that it tarnishes his legacy because, you know, there's the misleading side of things and then there's, you know, everybody's stances on vaccination. So I don't know if it tarnishes his legacy in the big picture. There's a number of greats throughout the NFL that have had any number of controversies on the field and off the field and where you see this playing out, whether it kind of blurs the line between off field and on field. And, you know, people will have their thoughts about, you know, who should have access and who should know about other people's medical records. But I think it'll just, it it just changes the perception for a lot of people of Aaron Rodgers, um, his personality, um, perhaps his his authenticity and and the trust that he has as someone who throughout his career has been regarded as uh, a very well-spoken and quite considered and articulate and thoughtful person. Um, but some of the, not just what his stance is on the vaccination, but the way that it was dealt with, the way that, you know, yes, the, the misleading comments that it started with, as well as then when he did speak to Pat McAfee and some of the things that, um, you know, some of the points that he made there that didn't quite land, I imagine, as he would have hoped. So I think perhaps not changing the legacy, but certainly changing perception. Speaking with Laurie Haresh from ESPN, talking all things NFL, let's get our attention directed towards the on-field stuff. Now, first game of the week, the Baltimore Ravens take on the Miami Dolphins, and I think it's the old Hootie and the Blowfish song, uh, Only Want to Be With You, where it says the Dolphins make me cry, and it's probably going to be the case for its supporters if you have a look at the form line coming in, because the Ravens, they still rank second in the NFL in yards per game at about 428, I think. Miami, they, to me, always have trouble ensuring that they're consistent right throughout the match in terms of maintaining intensity. What are your thoughts? Do you think the Ravens win easily? I think that's a really good point you made just there about maintaining throughout the game. The, the, the Dolphins have talent on defence. That's ideally where they'd like to build this, but defence is a collective effort. Defence is quite oftentimes focus, energy, attitude and teamwork and willing to give yourself up for the common good of the defensive unit. That becomes harder to do um, as the game goes on, as your offense just keeps handing the ball over to the other team without scoring any points, too many punts tends to take away the attitude and commitment that you can expect to that fine detail from a defensive unit. And I think that's that's why you see what you, you accurately put there, that it does seem to fade throughout a game. They have had contests where they keep it despite being outmatched against favorites. The Dolphins have kept it within arm's length or kept it really close, and then it starts to blow out. 
And I think this is a game where the storyline coming out of Thursday Night Football this week is Lamar Jackson showing everybody what an MVP candidate looks like. Whether it is a it's a dominant day on the ground or through the air, um, I think that he's shown the ability to break the game open with both. He had a massive day on the ground um, in week nine, but he's shown uh, an elevated level of passing game. And he's, he's those who doubt what he can do from the pocket failed to see what Lamar Jackson's skill set was way back in college and as he came into the NFL. Uh, yes, the legs are electrifying and his speed and his rushing ability is what threw him into the superstar spotlight and as an MVP early in his career, but he's showing now the growth and the talent that he does have as a passer. And I think with, with the emergence of you know, Marquise Brown going to a new level as an established, speedy number one receiver and Rashad, Bate, Rashad Bateman, remember that name, Spent most of the, you know, his debut season so far on coming back from a core muscle injury. Not easy to get through. But he's been productive through his first three games, and I think that's only going to be stride for stride. A really nice match. Marquise Brown, the speed, the slightness, the quickness, and Rashad Bateman, bit bigger, great routes, really complete receiver, really nice one-two punch. We're seeing working with uh, with Lamar Jackson there, and oh, just Mark Andrews looking every bit like the baby Gronkowski nickname he earned early in his career with his form so far this season. Yes, uh, some other matches to take a look at. The Atlanta Falcons take on the Dallas Cowboys. I'm predicting a Cowboys victory here. They've won three of their last four, mainly due to the great play from Matt Ryan. But I think the Falcons could make it interesting. What are your thoughts? I've seen the Falcons and Cowboys play in person. Now, that was Matt Ryan and Julio Jones up against, from memory, Joseph Randall was the lead running back for Dallas at the time. And we had Brandon Whedon slinging passes because in the two weeks prior, whilst I was sitting there waiting for... With my tickets booked and ready to go to Dallas, I saw Tony Romo and Des Bryant go down with injuries in back-to-back weeks and then having to go home and tell my lovely wife that we just spent a whole bunch of money to go see Whedon and Randall lead the attack. Um, And Terrence Williams is your number one ride receiver. So, yes, this game can certainly be close. Matt Ryan playing some really good football. To the point of the confidence that he showed last week uh, in their victory, Ryan, a rare QB keeper, uh, running it in for a touchdown, even offering the fake point to the receiver that didn't exist on his way into the end zone. So he's feeling some of his best form coming in. But yeah, this for the Cowboys, this needs to be a get-right game. Dan Quinn, their defensive coordinator, former Atlanta Falcons head coach, the Atlanta Falcons head coach who took them to the Super Bowl where they gave up that lead against that mm-hmm. Patriots team. Dan Quinn was asked this week, you know, any kind of fuzzy feelings? Is it bittersweet? Any, it's a bit of a homecoming heading back? And he basically said, did you see what our defense did last week? Did you see us get slapped up and down the field, football speaking, uh, by the Denver Broncos? There's no time for any fuzzy memories. There's no time for any kind of airy-fairy homecoming. We've got a lot to fix. So this needs to be a return game. The defense needs to do a far better job from the Cowboys, getting off the ball, playing with physicality. The, the, it can't just be the Micah Parsons show. The coverage needs to be better. And offensively, Dak Prescott, first game back from the calf issue that kept him out for a couple of weeks there over the, the Cowboys' bye week there. Uh, he looked, whether you want to say it was rusty or over-amped because he was sailing a few passes and a little too much juice on some of the, the balls he was looking at. I think of a couple of deep shots, a couple of passes to CeeDee Lamb that could have been huge plays to really kickstart them that just didn't fall right. He needs to be more accurate. The offensive line, if they're without Tyron Smith again, needs to be far more consistent and can't give up the pressures that they did. Uh, and wide receivers, when you, you know, this was their loss to the Denver Broncos was a complete performance in that it was a completely poor performance from every part of that team. 
You can't have the elements that I've mentioned be that poor, and you can't have wide receivers dropping wide open passes when Prescott was on target. So expect to get back game. They need to get back game. But don't underestimate the Falcons, who have been very, very frisky. They've got themselves to four and four. They're well in this wild card race, this playoff hunt. Uh, and they've got a quarterback in Matt Ryan, who this is a quarterback-driven league. And if he's going to be playing you know, near the best form we've seen in his career, then he's going to give his team a shot, even without Calvin Ridley, the star receiver who stepped away to deal with you know, personal mental health and take care of himself uh, off the field. Uh, this will be a fascinating contest between some teams that have had some interesting clashes in recent years. Laurie Haresh joining us from ESPN discussing all the latest NFL news and the matches to come. Feel free to text in 0433-981116 off the temper text machine. You're listening to the Sporting Capital. We're speaking with Laurie Haresh about the upcoming NFL fixtures. Of course, Laurie joining us from ESPN. One game I want to focus on, the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on Indianapolis. Now, the Colts have a very good top five rushing attack. Jonathan Taylor, of course. That's allowed Carson Wentz to find a little bit of individual rhythm, it's fair to say. Jacksonville coming off a big upset win over the Bills. They've yet to win a true road game in recent times, I feel. So do you think Indianapolis can put paid to Jacksonville's recent out of euphoria? Well, the Indianapolis Colts can do one thing the Buffalo Bills can't, and that's run the ball. You mentioned Jonathan Taylor there, the rushing attack leading that. He is one of the true elite backs in the NFL. They're getting explosive plays out of Naheem Hines as well. He's one of the most fun electric players to watch in the NFL. Has Only has a bit part role, but when he does, he's a chance to break off big plays. So I think they can do, whilst Carson Wentz is not on the level of Josh Allen, uh, and and Whilst Michael Pittman is a fantastic breakout receiver, he might be the superstar receiver you don't know the name of, but you should get to know. Uh, their receiving core perhaps doesn't have the shine that comes with uh, one led by Stefan Diggs uh, in Buffalo. But, but yeah, what the Colts can do is run the ball and control the game that way, which is not something the Bills can do. And they got into a, a, a very odd, low-scoring battle, tense battle there, where the, the Jacksonville Jaguars pass rush and the defensive line did a good job getting pressure. So really, they laid the Buffalo Bills laid a perfect game plan for the Colts of what not to do. Don't put Carson Wentz in a position where a an underdog mentality, a bit of gritty and, and, and determined Jacksonville Jaguars pass rush can, can find, a, find some weaknesses and holes to exploit and start to get pressure. Lean on the run game. Uh, start dominating at the line of scrimmage and let some of your... Then let that guys like Michael Pittman go to work downfield and start to stretch those things out. But don't don't try and get into the a weird kind of... A slugfest that we saw the Bills get into where they almost couldn't get out of their own way. We saw Josh Allen, bad Josh Allen return. The Jags drew that out of him. His namesake, the pass rusher Josh Allen for the Jaguars, was one of many defensive linemen to really harass Josh Allen in the pocket and start to cause him to get a little frazzled. And we go from MVP Josh Allen to bad Josh Allen. <laughs> and, and that's certainly something you can see happening with Carson Wentz. We know what happens when he gets heated up in the pocket a little bit. Decision-making isn't his A1 forte on the menu. So for the Colts, yes. The recipe, get rushing. Get rushing early. Get Jonathan Taylor going. And don't make this a game where you need to turn on Carson Wentz to start creating plays. Interested to hear your thoughts, Laurie, in this next game. Cleveland taking on the New England Patriots. I get the sense we saw a different Cleveland lineup from what we saw previously in that victory against the Bengals. Very convincing. The Patriots are in decent form, but they've lost to Dallas and New Orleans. Teams with top 10 rushing offences. What are your thoughts here? Can Cleveland pinch one against the Patriots? Well, when I, our show this week on the uh, on the Brecky NFL show on ESPN Australia, 
we had a segment there called Since You've Been Gone, you know, taken from the Kelly, Kelly Clarkson. Clarkson. Classic yeah. there, absolutely. An absolute banger of a tune. If you don't get going when you hear those op- opening, you know, little bars there, the little chords come in from the guitar, um, that just beating away there, then I'm not sure what to tell you. But <laughs> what we talked about there were some teams that really looked like they'd come on since the departure of a big-name player or since it had been announced they were moving on from a headline player, and that's Odell Beckham Jr. He's, he is a free agent right now. He's mulling options. That could come any day, tomorrow, the next day, the weekend. We could find out where Odell's going. But this looked like a team that was playing liberated and free from the weight of the shoulders that hung over the narrative of Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. can't seem to get on the same page and the chemistry hasn't developed over multiple seasons. We saw Donovan Peoples-Jones forget OBJ. We've got DPJ flying downfield on a 50-yard connection uh, off play action with Baker Mayfield. Mayfield looking so composed and strong, standing tall in the pocket to deliver strikes. We saw Nick Chubb. We just talked about Jonathan Taylor. Nick Chubb breaking off 70-yard touchdown runs at 230 pounds is a little bit mean, but that's the type of talent they have at running back there. He's actually on the COVID list now because he is vaccinated. If he returns two negative tests before the game uh, in the 24 hours apart leading up to the game, uh, he could return, but that could be a huge loss for the Browns there if they're going to have to turn this one over to Dearness Johnson because it doesn't look like yet that Kareem Hunt is going to be back in the saddle. Um, he's still got some to work to do to get back from the calf injury that felled him. So if Chubb is out, that's a huge swing towards the Patriots. But I do think this is a Browns team that they've been celebrating this week, re-signing part of, parts of their offensive line to big money contracts. I think they're happy with the balance that they've got in their team now and allowing some other receivers to step up in the wake of Odell Beckham Jr.'s departure. They they can absolutely, if Chubb is there, I'd back them to, to take this victory. I think they've got just that little bit more X factor at the skill positions uh, for two teams that have, Quarterbacks that show promise and and accuracy at times, uh, but I don't think it's I think it's fair to say that neither Baker Mayfield uh, nor Mac Jones at this stage of his career a true light em up MVP style game breaking you know take it over style signal callers. So an interesting balanced matchup in the AFC. Two teams again that have positioned themselves in the playoff battle, uh, but I, I think a huge amount should be paid towards does Nick Chubb, who could be the you know the best offensive player in this game. Does he turn up? Is he able to get off the COVID list? Is he able to return those two negative tests in time? If not, I think that swings back towards the Patriots, who aren't. They're also, it should be said, they're also dealing with some injury issues at the running back position with a few players dealing with concussion. Speaking with Laurie Haresh from ESPN, talking all things NFL. We mentioned the Buffalo Bills before. They've hit a bit of a rough patch. Went down, of course, to the Jags, as we mentioned, uh, particularly in their last three games. They failed to cover the spread. The Jets, uh, of course, their opponents coming up. They've had multiple injuries at quarterback. So this is probably a good time for the Bills to recover, given the Jets have that, uh, I think, obstacle to overcome, it's fair to say. Yeah, they do have an obstacle to overcome, but you know, beware the fighting Mike White. If he does get, it looks like he's getting the start there for the Jets this week. Um, so with the Buffalo Bills, right? Offensively, especially in the passing game, you far outweigh what the Jets are going to be able to throw at you defensively. So it'll be on Josh Allen to kind of set the course early. Uh, but there is pressure mounting on them. They have stacked some. There's some defeats on their list and on their schedule of late. They have not been a consistently dominant offense. Josh Allen still at this point, is very high up in the MVP market. Some some markets you see him as short as two to one. Uh, I don't think his play reflects that. I think he is, in my opinion, I think he should be around the sixth or seventh MVP candidate when you consider some of the others around the league, whether that's Kyler Murray or Tom Brady, 
Uh, you look at, I mentioned Lamar Jackson earlier, Matthew Stafford, Dak Prescott. These players, I think, have probably lined up with more consistent football um, at that level. But this is a game to show from pillar to post. Can you put four quarters of dominant football together, dominant offensive football, and really right the ship against whatever whatever magic mojo and, and good juju is going on with the Jets when they're able to get Mike White, the history maker, under center there with Zach Wilson out injured. Whatever that may exist, I think you need to take the ball from the outset and get that get that passing game going, uh, get the offensive moving, and, and really show the, the disparity in class that exists between the rosters and not let yourself get caught up in any sort of messy contest against a Jets team that if you let them hang around, they might just start believing that they can cause yet another boil over. I also want to touch on the Detroit Lions v. Pittsburgh Steelers clash. It's an interesting one because it's a bit of a contrast in build-ups. The Lions are coming off a bye week. The Steelers, they're off a short build-up because they played on Tuesday our time. I don't think it'll matter, though. I think, in the end, the Steelers should prevail. And the Lions, I think they've lost by an average of around 10 points on the road. So I'm still expecting a Pittsburgh Steelers victory. I think so. I think the Steelers were quite lucky to get away with victory against the Chicago Bears on Monday Night Football, and that was an absolute belter of a game. I just don't, I, I, as I don't think the quarterback position looks anywhere near as promising for the Lions as it does for the Bears. Justin Fields, we're starting to see the talent really shine through that he does have. It's not perfectly consistent yet, but that's not what the Lions are able to roll out. Uh, we know Jared Goff there, and we'll see how long his leash remains in Detroit for the Steelers. Uh, not the most prolific addition of the Steelers' offense we've ever seen, particularly considering some of the wide receiver options they have. But Chase Claypool finds himself um, on the injury list there. Uh, but I think this is a big Najee Harris game. I think this could be 150 total plus uh, yards from scrimmage from the very, very impressive rookie. And uh, ideally, the Steelers don't have to turn to Ben Roethlisberger to chuck it around too many times. Don't want to see Big Ben throwing it up near 40, yard, 40 times a game at this stage of his career. But defensively, what the Steelers can do to shut down a, a very, a relatively limited Lions attack, uh, I you wouldn't be surprised coming away from this one seeing about a 30 to 10 scoreline. And and as I said, I think Najee Harris is about to put a, an absolutely huge total down. Um, and I'm sure anybody that owns him or, or has drafted him rather in fantasy football be licking their lips at the idea of the production he might put out this week. And just lastly, Laurie, a two-part question. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in action this week against Washington, and I'd expect the Buccaneers to win there coming off a bye week. Uh, this is an NFC wildcard rematch, of course, from last season. Tom Brady could potentially have a field day. A, your predictions for this particular encounter, and B, Tom Brady, of course, made comments during the week saying that adding a 17th regular season game was a terrible decision and rather pointless. What are your thoughts on that matter? Oof, my thoughts on the 17th game. I'm not the biggest fan of it. If it caps it at about 17 and we don't start to see it get any further, I'm not going to lose over you know huge amounts of sleep for it. I like more football, but generally I like more football to come in the playoffs. Uh, I don't want to see the over-proliferation of mm. the NFL regular season. I think one of the beautiful things about the NFL and something we've seen locally with, with sport here is we have seen um, schedules for teams and the toll on players increase massively since I was a kid to where we are now. Um, and I don't need to say exactly how many years that is. They've like become more some of my youth. Yes, they have. But they have. But there, there is a when you do start to get towards 20, 26 regular season games, some of them do lose a little of their magic. And one of the beauty of the NFL, um, as, as brutal a sport and physical a sport as it is, is every single game matters. Every single game, every loss 
can really set your course on a your your season on a different course, and every win can reignite hope that you might be able to sneak something out of what might be a middling season. So, at 17, you know that is that's fine, but I'd, I'd hate to think that this comes with an 18th, 19th, and as we start to get to 20, especially considering the nature of this sport. As for the Buccaneers, yes, I think they're the deserved favourites here, but just remember that Taylor Heineke came very, very close to causing serious, serious shockwaves through the NFC playoffs last. Last year, you mentioned wildcard meeting yeah. as a, a rematch of their of their showdown, um, a showdown that people perhaps didn't expect uh, in the playoffs last season. Uh, Heineke verifies you can create a little bit of magic with a little bit of luck out of nothing, uh, but the idea of that that Buccaneers defensive front uh, getting after him and the fact that I think the best part I'd love to see more Antonio Gibson uh, featured by Washington, their running back. I think he could do wonders in the passing game as well. The fact that the the, the Washington, the, sorry, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers run defense led by Vita Vea, who was an absolute phenom to enjoy and watch at the defensive tackle position. The fact that teams just generally avoid running the ball against him, I don't think that plays into uh, the hands of a Washington team that needs to be two dimensional. But they, that just that matchup might take the run game away from them and force it all on Taylor Heineke's shoulders, which is probably not the success or the plan that the route to success for a Taylor Heineke led team. Well, Laurie, I really appreciate your time dissecting some of the NFL games coming up over the ensuing days. Appreciate your time and best of luck analysing it all. Oh, always a pleasure. Great to join you. Laurie Harris joining us from ESPN dissecting the upcoming NFL action. Well, the Socceroos are not too far away from blocking hordes against Saudi Arabia in Parramatta. Kickoff in a matter of about 20 minutes' time. A little bit of rain around as well, and we're going to bring you the coverage from 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time shortly on various SEN stations. So I'll take a break, and on the other side, we'll wrap up the sporting capital and look forward to the Socceroos in action. Welcome back. Toby Watson to the chair for Sam Hargraves this evening. Plenty of Australian sporting fervour to come. The Socceroos about to play their first game on home soil in 763 days against Saudi Arabia. And off the SMS, the temper text machine, Kim from Sandringham, is asking, is SEN going to broadcast the Aussie v Saudi soccer match? Uh, that's direct off the text machine. Yes, we are claiming that football match and that kickoff time is in about 15 minutes with Julian Dore heading the coverage of various SEN stations and then from 1am tomorrow morning the Australian cricket team are in action in the T20 World Cup semi-final against Pakistan so plenty of national sporting patterns to go off in the later hours of the night and the earlier hours of the morning. Thanks for your company on the sporting capital. Take care. Go the Socceroos and go the Aussie cricket team. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.